welcome Liberty people, visitors, thanks for coming and sharing this morning with us. Um, we just pray at the start. This is the this is the culmination of um, our prayers, Cornerstone Church, for the last kind of two years plus. Um, you know, it's really interesting speaking to other people, people who don't even live around Lark Lane anymore and have moved on, and people who live around here. This has been on the, the heart of many people and their prayers for, for much longer than we even started thinking about it. And I'm, I'm buzzing this morning. I was just all week we've been really excited, the launch team, been really excited, spent the day with a lot of the guys yesterday. And we're just so excited about, about today, kind of starting something off. And we were saying before, in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel that much different to when we were gathering here in December, but, but it is. Today is significant, and we are putting a flag in the ground and saying, we're here now. And, and by God's grace, we're going to um, build a church, and his kingdom is going to extend across Lark Lane here. And that is our hope, and that is our vision and that is what we feel called to. And we have by no means arrived this morning. We're celebrating what we're doing, but we haven't arrived. This is the start of what God has called us into. Um, and so we're moving off from here. We're just another outpost of, of the gospel of the kingdom here. And we're here to proclaim the gospel, to be, um, to pe- to be people who, who, who live gospel lives and speak the gospel. And that's what we feel called to. So... We're thankful for kind of all your prayers and all of our prayers and for God getting us this far. And we're, um, we're starting a new series this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, we kind of did a bit of an intro and just a bit of background and context for that. And we're going to start in with, with chapter 1 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, um, turn with me to them to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read that together. And this, this section we're going to read, just verse 1 to 9, is... It's so appropriate for us kind of launching this morning. It is the very thing that we need to hear as we're building a foundation and looking to step into what God has called us to, to remind us who we are and what we're doing. So let's read this together. I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is something that we can build our lives upon, that we can found this church on, and that is our prayer moving forward from this day, that we will be people of your word, people who look to your word to mould us and guide us and instruct us and discipline us. Father, this morning I pray that you would speak through your word, by your spirit, into the heart of everyone here this morning. Father, I pray that we would be excited about what you're beginning here, but we would be even more overjoyed and even even more overwhelmed by the work that you've done in our hearts, which has caused us to be here this morning. 
Father, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sit down, because that's what I've been doing for the last few months, and it feels, I can feel a weird echo like around here because I'm standing up because it's the first time I've done it. So there you go. Bombs down. I'm, I'm seated. Uh, right, here we go. 1 Corinthians. Um, three things I want to kind of pull out for us this morning. Three things that I think are important for us as a church launching out and important for any of us who are here this morning to know if we, if we are a believer in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ and even if we're not. I'm just going to go through verse by verse and see what Paul is telling us here. And we start off with this. Paul, called by the will of God. Paul. We just stop there in that first word of this book, of this letter. Paul. Read that name. Read that word. And we need to know, everyone who is here this morning, you are welcome here. No matter what your background is, no matter what baggage you brought in, no matter what former life you have or, or what family you come from, you are welcome here and God can do a work in your life. Most of you know who Paul was. You've heard of the Apostle Paul before. And we know that him writing here, he is a man of God. He is a man with authority. Before he arrived at this point, Paul was a vile man. He was. He called himself the chief among sinners, the first among sinners. And he wasn't kidding. We kind of read that and think, oh, he's just kind of using a, a, a bit of an analogy there. But he was the worst of the worst. This was a man who went around persecuting Christians, murdering Christians. You look in Acts chapter 7, he is holding the coats of men as they pick up rocks and stone a man to death. And he's affirming what they are doing. Paul was a sinful, sinful man. Worse than probably any man that we've ever met. If he was around today, he would be tried for acts of terrorism. And he was a man who got called out of that life. God saved out of that life. God forgave of his sins and called him into a better way. As a result, over half of the New Testament here is written by the Apostle Paul. You need to know this morning that no matter what your past is, no matter who your family is, no matter how vile you think you are, no matter what sin you think you've carried in here this morning, the first word, the first name that we read in this book tells you that you are welcome here. And the grace of God is not too weak to transform and change you. You need to know that. The Corinthian church knew that. They would have known Paul. They would have known his background. They, they would have known how dark his past was, but how beautiful his present was as God did a transforming work in his heart. And in, the, in the midst of the mess that the church in Corinth were in, which we're going to see in a minute, that should have given them hope. In the midst of the mess that most of us live in day by day, that should give you hope. Let's carry on. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is Corinth. Just a bit of context and to remind us what, what Paul is doing and who he's writing to here. Back in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 18, Paul lands in the city of Corinth and he's kind of going around on his missionary journey and he lands in this city and this city is a, is a center of, of commerce. It's an it's a economic capital in the Roman Empire. It's a place the trade went through. It was a strategic point in the empire so it was a meeting point of, of a trade route north to south and, and east to west, and it was a port city as well. So what you found is that people were, were flooding in and out of the city all the time. Trade was coming in and out. Wealth was coming in and out. People were coming in and out. Cultures were coming in and out, and people would come, and they would stick around in Corinth 
for a time, some of them would stay long term, some of them would just come to trade and they would move on. But what you found was this city was a melting pot of all sorts of different people and different cultures. Corinth was also known for being a place of liberal values. It was one of these strange places in the Roman Empire that was allowed to form its own identity. And the way they chose to form their identity was, was on self-gratification. It was all about elevating themselves or elevating the individual. And it didn't matter what cost that came at or who you had to trample over or what your belief system was. No matter how depraved it was, it was accepted. And they became known as a place that, that was about self-promotion, self-gratification, about elevating the individual. A place that, that, that was known for being licentious and sinful. It was known across the empire as that. Paul lands in the city. He preaches primarily to Gentiles. People are saved. Paul sticks around for 18 months and he teaches this, this gathering as it grows and grows. And he plants a church there. Imagine the hope that Paul has as he gets on his boat, ship, whatever, and sails off to Ephesus after his 18 months of being in Corinth. That he's just landed in one of the most strategic, influential cities in the, in the Roman Empire. With the potential for, for the gospel to spread out literally to the corners of the earth. Because it is so, so strategic in trade, there's people coming in and out all the time. Imagine the excitement in Paul that he started a church in this place. In this cultural hot pot. And all the church in Corinth have to do is follow Paul's teaching, is get on with one another, is love Jesus, is love the people around them, and the gospel will spread like wildfire. Paul leaves, get on his, gets on his boat, arrives in Ephesus. And imagine his heartache when he receives reports and letters back from what's going on in Corinth. So these are the sorts of things that are reported back. That, that people have begun to, begun to follow other teachers and idolise some of those teachers. That they've begun to question the authority of scripture, question the authority of Paul. There's division in the church. So some people are literally taking their, their brothers and sisters to court. There's sexual immorality and impurity. There's financial misconduct that the rich are keeping money to themselves instead of being sacrificial and spreading it in the community. There's a lack of discipline, they're distorting the gift of marriage, they're abusing spiritual gifts, they're sinning in ways that even the pagan Corinthians weren't even sinning. And they're dragging all of that Corinthian culture into the church. The letters and reports that Paul gets back show that this church is, is messed up. This is a messy messy church imagine his heartache when he hears that i can't be honest if that was any of us if we were the apostle paul and by god's grace we are not but if we were and and we'd invested in this community and we'd been there for 18 months and we prayed over them and we supported them and we had all these high expectations for them and then we started getting these reports back of them of them doing all of these crazy sinful things we will come down on them like a ton of bricks we would let rip on them. We would call them out for their sin. We'd be on the phone straight away to their leader saying, what are you doing? Get back in line. Paul's different. Paul writes back to them in their mess and he encourages them towards three areas. And the first one is this. He says, remember who you are. Verse 2, he says this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is him writing to the Corinthians, called to be saints together. With all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, as messed up as they are. So all the reports that Paul hears back, look at how Paul addresses them. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means they're set apart, they've been made holy, they've been made righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ. They're sanctified. He says they're called to be saints. They don't sound very saintly, do they? They're called to be saints. He says they are people who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens his letter with reminding them who they are. He doesn't identify them by their sin. He doesn't identify them by their, by their train wreck lives. He doesn't identify them by the situation that they're in in that moment. He identifies them with Christ. He says they are holy, <clears throat> sanctified saints. We all need to hear that encouragement this morning. And you may come back and think, yeah, but if only you knew what kind of week that I've had. If only you knew what I was, what I was doing last night. If only you knew the, 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 the battle that I have with sin that I can't seem to, seem to shake off. The Apostle Paul says, if you are one who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is how you see Jesus, if you see him as your Lord and as your Christ, then that, all that sin that you're indulging with, all that struggle that you are contending with, that is not who you are. You are a holy one of God. You are set apart for him. And you've been called to be a saint. Paul doesn't bring judgment here. Instead in verse 3, what does he say to them? Grace and peace. He says, church, you are, you are set apart. You've been made holy. I know your mess. I know what's going on. But listen, there is grace and there is peace for you. Despite your rebellion. Despite your self-promotion. Grace abounds. No matter what last night looked like, no matter what this last week looked like, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour and you see him as your Christ, there are new mercies for you every morning. Paul calls us to remember who we are and then secondly, he wants us to remember what we've been given. First of all, let's read this together. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Just listen to the, to, the, to the love and care that Paul pours out on these people. He's given thanks for them. Again, position yourself as Paul. You've, you've made this big investment. There's so much potential. And then you hear all these reports back of them getting it wholly, royally wrong. And he gives thanks for them. <coughs> when my kids are naughty, I can tell you I am not thankful for them no and even when i'm at my best even when i'm feeling holy even when i'm feeling righteous even when i've been in the word i'll tell you this before christmas it was um christmas eve and we were having a, a service over at cornerstone liverpool and, and it was a great service and um, the pastors were kind of preaching a bit and i've been up and shared um, a few words with with with, with our people um, it was standing room only so i was standing on the side and i had micah with me and he was we were kind of up singing. Um, I was kind of there with my hands in, in the air, just really just re responding to the, to the grace and the glory of God. And Mike is on my side. I'm carrying him. And just, I'm kind of there, like, with my hand in the air. And I can start to feel something warm on my side here. <laughs> and I'm thinking it could be, could be the Spirit of God kind of doing, doing a work. And as I open my eyes, Mike is looking up at me. And he's weed through his pants onto, um, onto, onto me, through my shirt. And it's dribbling down the side of, of my leg. Um, 
in that moment that I looked down at my son and say, child of God, grace, <laughs> grace and peace to you, son. Now I got him, I lifted him up, I threw him in the car and I gave him both barrels and we went home and got changed. You need to know and you need to see the heart of Paul here. See the heart of him here. These are his children. They have messed up big time. They deserve both barrels, just like Mike. Well, Mike might not have deserved everything they gave to him, but he got it anyway. But they deserve everything that was coming to them. And what does he give them? Grace and peace. See Paul's heart for the people in Corinth. You can imagine the people in Corinth receiving this letter from Paul. It comes through the post and they're unrolling the scroll. And line after line, they're waiting for him just to give it to them. And he doesn't. Holy ones. Saints. Called. Grace and peace to you. How can Paul do that? Let me tell you, Paul's life was marked by the grace of God. Paul knows what it is to be forgiven. He's experienced the grace of God. And he knows that for some of us, sanctification takes time. Paul knows what his life looked like before. He can look back and he can see what he's been saved from. He can see what he's been saved out of. And Paul knows that for, for most of us, for a lot of us, it takes time for the grace of God to really grab hold of us and do a deep work in us. And so he extends grace the church in Corinth. I know this from my own life. So I was saved when I was 13 and, and, I, and I know that at that age I submitted my life to Christ. And on the outside I was, I was as saintly as you could imagine. On the inside I was messed up. So at the age of 13 I was sexually immoral. I was a thief. I was a liar. I did everything that I could to prove myself to my peers. There was a couple of godly guys at that time. One of them was my dad who knew really what I was like. What did they do? What did they do to me or for me? They extended grace to me. They modelled grace to me despite my rebellion. I need to hear this. Grace doesn't ignore sin. Grace doesn't see what's going on in our lives and see see all the mess and say, "Do you know what? It's okay. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to get upset. So I'll let them continue and I'll just say nice things to them and pat them on the back." That's cowardice. That isn't grace. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 that that will result in the wrath of God being poured out on that person. That is not grace. Grace challenges sin. Grace confronts sin. Grace pulls up a mirror in front of us and shows us the depth of our depravity and our darkness. And that's what happened to me. So my dad and, and other older men who were who were being gracious towards me, didn't pat me on the back and say, it's okay, carry on, Neil, that's fine, it'll all work itself out. They held up a mirror in front of me and said, look at what you are doing. Look at the depth of the darkness in your life. And then look at how good God has been to you through all of that. Look at the grace that has been extended to you from God through all of that. And it was 18, I was 18 before it hit me. But when it did, it changed everything in my life. Grace doesn't ignore problems. Grace confronts problems. And Paul isn't ignoring the problems in Corinth. He's just starting his conversation with grace. Why? Because God isn't interested in behavioral modification. Paul could have easily come to Corinth and written them a letter and said, okay, I know all these things are going on. Just stop doing it, will you? Just cut it out and do what I've told you to do. But he doesn't. 
external transformation without, without addressing the internal corruption and darkness and depravity is not what God is after. God wants to redeem his people. God wants to transform his people from the inside out. God doesn't want to give us facelifts. He wants to give us heart transplants. Anyone can change the outward appearance of a person. Only God can transform our hearts. And the starting point for a transformed heart is grace. It is seeing the goodness of God. It is seeing everything that he has given us despite our sin. And that is what brought me when I was 18. It wasn't a tutorial and a sit down on how to live a better life. It wasn't me becoming more moral and just ticking, ticking a, a box of commands. It was the grace of God that changed me. And it's really interesting. So since then, I've, I've been um, almost every year reading a book by a guy called John Owen, a Puritan from a few hundred years ago, a book called Mortification of Sin. And I've read it with a lot of guys in, in this room here. And it's a great book for just contending with our flesh and trying to get through a struggle of sin and try and work out how do we... How do we shake ourselves off of the old man and walk into this new creation? And a lot of people, when they pick up that book, they just want seven steps to, to, to get through their sanctification and to get rid of sin. And you know what John Owen does for the first two chapters? He doesn't even go anywhere near with, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. And how about taking yourself out of here and doing these things? He says, stare in the face and the beauty of Christ. Allow yourselves to be washed and overcome with the grace that has been afforded you. Position yourself under the cross. Know Jesus. Love him. Understand who he is. And then he goes on to saying, okay, now try and do these things. But for two chapters, he just hammers the grace of God. He wants us to see Jesus. He wants us to be dazzled with the beauty of Christ. That is the way that we walk away from sin. It's seeing Jesus. It's seeing his grace. And it's seeing his goodness and seeing what he's done for us. We need to see that grace isn't just what God has done for us in Jesus. But grace is also the, the truth that when he saves us, he gives us everything that we need to walk through our lives as new creations. That's what Paul means in verse 5. He says that God has enriched them. He says God has fed you. God has provided for you in every way so that, so that you're not lacking in everything. In these new lives that you've got to live as Christians... God has given you everything that you need. And you see in verse 6 here that, that there was a time that, that, that Paul witnessed this in the church. Just read verse 5 and 6 together. He says, In every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of, about Christ was confirmed among you. Paul says, I remember. I remember when I came to you. I was with you. I preached to you. I shared the gospel, the truth of Jesus. And you responded with changed lives. That's the testimony that Paul's talking about here. He's, he's given a witness of who Christ is and he saw right in front of his eyes the people in Corinth change themselves, be transformed, live differently. That's how the preached word works. The preacher heralds the good news. He shows his congregation that there is a more excellent way and then the power and the authority and the truth of God's word works on our hearts, changes us and we confirm that the gospel has done a work through our changed lives. That is the evidence. And as Liberty Church, we are grounded on that. We believe that. We believe Hebrews chapter 4, that the, 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 the word, when it goes out, will not return void. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That is what we believe. And Paul has seen that in the church in Corinth. It seems that there was a time when they were doing well, when they were responding to the gospel, and living gospel lives, and then, and then they messed things up. 
verse 7, Paul starts to unpeel the problem and, and get to the core of what the problem is in Corinth here. So he says, you, you've, you've forgotten who you were and, 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 and you've forgotten what you've been given and, and things are starting to, to fall out. That you're starting to fall out with people around you. And you're starting to fall out with each other, not because of the good gifts that God has given you, but because you think that you should have more gifts. Or because these gifts aren't being used in, in the right way, that maybe you want to use, use a gift in a different way that they are, or elevate yourself above someone else and show them that you've got this great gift. And there starts to be division in the church. I'm going to look at that next week, what that looks like. And here's what we know about the church in Corinth. God gave them, you see this in verse 5, God gave them specific gifts of speech and knowledge. He enabled them to understand truth. He allowed them to be able to communicate the gospel and communicate who Jesus was. He, he gave them a gift of being able to read it and really get to grips with it. And that should have been a catalyst for the gospel. These people with, with, with a strategic position in the world, being able to communicate the truth of who God is, that should have been something that sent the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what we see is that instead of elevating Christ... It caused division. Because they were elevating themselves. They were more concerned about who could speak the best. And the problem wasn't the gift. The problem isn't the gift that God has given them. And, and the problem isn't, isn't, isn't particularly at its core that there was division over the gift. The root problem is, Paul points to it in the second half of, of verse 7, is this. This is what he says. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait. Paul's pointing to something specific here. The division that falls out of them, not getting a right handle on the gifts that God has given them. Something to do with their waiting. This is our third point. Paul encourages us to remember our hope. Remember our hope. Verse 7, I think Paul's kind of doing a bit of reverse psychology here with the Corinthians that, that Paul knows that they feel like they're lacking some of these gifts that's why there's division, he knows that what he's saying is if you wait if you wait you will not be lacking in anything you feel like you're lacking because you're not waiting if you wait then you will not be lacking in anything wait for what? that word wait is, is an eager expectation for a future, it's a hope in something to happen what should they be eagerly waiting for? Verse 7. For the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they should be waiting for. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the reason that you're falling out because of the gifts is because you're not longing for Jesus to return. That you're operating in a way that wants the benefits and all the graces of, of Jesus without Jesus. So think about that. If we... If we're not desiring for Jesus to return, or we're not desiring to be in his presence, then all we're saying is we want all the benefits of him without the benefactor. We want all the gifts of Jesus without Jesus himself. There's a quote from Billy Graham. There's been millions probably of quotes flying around about Billy Graham this week. This is what he said. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. We did this week. Don't you believe a word of it, he said. I shall be more alive than I am now. I'll just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Amen. More than anything else, Billy Graham wanted Jesus. That is what he wanted. We were talking the other day. Not a hint of scandal in Billy Graham's life. Was he a sinner? Absolutely he was. He struggled with sin like the rest of us. 
but not a hint of scandal in his life. That wasn't the Corinthian church. There was scandal all over the place. And if we're honest, looking at Billy Graham and a man who wanted Jesus more than anything else, if we're honest, we struggle with that. That oftentimes we want the gift, we want the blessings of God without the giver, without the one who wants to bless us. We find ourselves praying in ways and coming towards God in a way that just wants everything that he will give us without actually wanting him. We're praying for a spouse and we're asking God to give us this thing and it becomes more important and more of, a, more of a desire for us than the Lord Jesus Christ as himself. We come to God and we pray, God, will you, will you give us this job? We shall be approaching him saying, God, let your will be done. Give me Jesus. Before you give me anything else, give me Jesus. And so oftentimes we approach God like the prodigal son, just wanting all of his gifts, wanting all of his benefits, wanting all of his blessings without wanting him. If we live lives like that, we will be heading towards division. As a church, we will. If we're not living for, if we're not looking to a greater reality to come and a greater one than us, then we'll just be living to capitalize on here and now, making the best life that we can have now. Reaping all the benefits that God will give us here and now. And we're all guilty of this at times. Paul helps us to see what's going on when our heart is in that place. He says in verse 8, he says, We wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul's saying here is that beneath the desire for, for the gifts here or for all the blessings of God, over the giver, and over Jesus Christ. Wanting the gifts more than we want Jesus is an identifier that we have a lack of trust. We're, we're not believing that Jesus will sustain us to the end. We're not believing that Jesus is and will be enough. We're, we're failing to believe that waiting is good for us. We want the comforts of tomorrow today and when we do that we are fooling ourselves that we are sufficient in and of ourselves to give us the best things that we need in this life. Here's the thing. The Bible calls that idolatry. It's clear about it. It says putting anything, putting our hope in something, anything other than God, whether that's comfort or acceptance or pleasure, chasing, chasing satisfaction in anything other than Jesus Christ, even if it, that is a, a good gift which comes from him. It's idolatry. And the reality is, and Paul is trying to lead us towards seeing that Jesus is enough. That should be a liberating truth for us that the, the, there is a hope of an eternity with Jesus when we will be fully satisfied. That should be enough for us to walk through anything that this life has to throw at us. And Paul says God carries to sustain us to that point. Knowing that we will struggle to believe that. Knowing that we will want other things. But Jesus will sustain us and carry us to the end. And even when we can't put ourselves in that place, even when we can't say, yes, Jesus, you are enough. Even when we fail to do that. Even when we desire the gift over the giver. Even when we prove ourselves to be unworthy of a future hope. Verse 9. God is faithful. God is faithful. Even when we fail. Even when we mess up. Even when we want other things more than him. God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. And you look back in verse 8, and this should be stunning for us every day. That God is faithful and there will, be, there will come a day, despite our mess and despite our sin, when we will stand before him, how? Guiltless. 
Think on that. Paul is talking to a church here who have messed up royally. And he's saying, set your focus. Look forward. Don't let your current situation define who you are. Don't let your current struggle tell you who you are. Look back. Remember where you've come from. Remember what you've been called into. And now wait for a future hope. And God will be faithful to the end. And on that day, at the end, when you stand before your maker... He will see you not in your sin, not covered in your rebellion, not covered in your mess. He will see you as guiltless, free from sin, because God is faithful. And even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. And in fact, it was when we were least deserving of His grace that He gave it to us. It was while we were still sinners that God extends his hand of mercy and pulls us out of his mess and says, it's okay. Everything that that should be coming to you now, I've placed it on my son. And as Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he did that for us in our place. Taking on our mess, taking on our struggle, taking on the sin that should be defying us and telling us that we have no right to a future hope. Jesus took it all on. And took all of the punishment, all of the penalty, and all of the wrath that was due for us. Because God is faithful. When that day of judgment comes, there will be members of this messed up church of Corinth standing before their maker, faultless, perfect, guiltless before God. I'm guessing with them, the Apostle Paul is going to be standing pretty close. The vilest of sinners. The chief of sinners. Ones who put Christians to death. There will be people there who who Paul himself ordered their execution and held coats for while people stoned them. And Paul will stand before his maker guiltless, perfect, and faultless. And here it is, folks, for those of us We will call Jesus Christ our Lord despite our mess. We will be there too. No judgment, no wrath, no condemnation. Standing before our maker, guiltless, faultless and perfect. Why? Because of anything good that we do. Because Liberty Church has done such a great job at at planting a church. Because we're, we're so holy or so righteous or we're so faithful. Not a chance. Because God is faithful my prayer for us as we launch this is that we would be liberty church that we would be a people who look back often we would look back to the lives that we have been brought out of we would look and see the grace of God the mercy of God as he has pulled us out of our mess and brought us into a kingdom of light and life that we would be a people who remember the gifts that we have been given remember that the, the mercy of God has been extended to us and forgiven us and saved us. But that God also gives everything that we need to navigate this difficult life from here all the way until our final day. And that we will be a people who look forward. Look forward with hope in our hearts that Jesus is enough. That God will sustain us to the end. And that on that day we will stand before him clothed in the righteousness of his son. Because on the cross he has been clothed in our mess and taken and all of us. That's the foundation that we want liberty to be built on. A foundation of grace. 
not a foundation of our strength or, or anything that we can do a foundation of grace peace and love I'm going to spend a few minutes celebrating that as we take communion together as we do that we're just going to um, come to the front take the bread and take the juice of the wine and go back to your seat and just spend a few minutes reflecting on those things take some time to look back and think about your life before before the spirit of God grabbed hold of you and, and gave you eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is think about your life before you could see the grace of God as a good thing think about think about how, how, how the, the gospel has been extended to you showing you a more excellent way and God in his grace and mercy has given you the faith to believe that it is true remember the gifts that you've been given just use this time to give God thanks for the grace that you've been given the peace and mercy that he extends to you not because anything that we have done but all because of what Jesus has done for us his finished work on the cross and take this time to look forward with hope give God thanks that you are able to do that that you are able to look forward to a day where you will be presented before him without a spot or blemish free from your sin all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ Folks, this is a meal for those of us who would confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And if you're able to do that, then we would ask you to come and share this meal with us. And if you can't, that's fine. We would just say, just sit and just, just think about what the grace of God means for you. And if you want to, ask Him for the faith to believe that it is sufficient. It is sufficient for you to deal with your sin and to be presented before God on the day of judgment for judgment and condemnation and wrath not to come towards you but for grace, peace, love and a welcome to come towards you I'm going to pray for this the guys are going to um, come up and will lead us in song after we share this meal just take your time doing that, come and take the bread and take the juice, take it in your, in your own seats and then the, um, the guys will lead us through song let me pray Father we just thank you for your grace we thank you that we're, we're sitting here and standing here as we launch this church because of your grace. That we will not be able to do this if you hadn't done a transforming work in our hearts to begin with. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that you saved us despite our mess. That you have, you have called us and you have grabbed us and you have transformed us while we were still sinners. While we were most undeserving of your grace. That is when you came to us. And we confess we don't deserve that. We don't deserve the grace that you gave to us on that day. The grace that you continue to give us day by day as you give us everything we need to walk through this life. And we don't deserve to be presented before you faultless, blameless and guiltless on the day of judgment. But we will and we are. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for this meal. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the, to the Father and your love for us. We thank you for your body which was broken, your blood which was shed for, for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the grace that we receive because of everything that you have given. We love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.